Today is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter where we traditionally commemorate the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey or baby horse. And when he did that, people would lie in the streets and they would throw down their cloaks and their uh, palm branches to make a sort of royal red carpet for Jesus to walk on. And it was a really strange, bizarre scene for us to read in the Bible today. Um, and many churches today who celebrate Palm Sunday would normally hand out palm branches to people as part of the service, and they would wave them during the service. And I love this meme of the Pope with his palm branch. It's a bizarre thing to be having palm branches in church today. But in the ancient world, palm branches had a really significant meaning. They symbolized triumph and victory, and when people would wave those palm branches or lay them down uh, at the feet of a person, it would signify that this person has significant uh, political and religious uh, power. And I grew up thinking that Palm Sunday was such an exciting, fun, celebratory day at church where we'd sing praises and, to God and uh, sing Hosanna, just like they did um, to Jesus when he came into the city. I have a very different understanding of Palm Sunday today. I think that the procession of Jesus was not so much a parade um, as if it was a, a worship service of people praising Jesus. I believe that that parade was more like a political protest. And the entry processions in the ancient world called uh, triumphs they were huge deals. The general or governor or official or emperor um, would display their Roman political and military power with these triumphs. And Rome had the most famous uh, procession um, in the world. And it was almost always happen after a military war victory. And they would march the spoils of war, the captured women, men, children in chains through the city. And this picture uh, is the Arch of Titus in Rome, and it was built in AD uh, 81, 10 years after the Romans squelched a Jewish rebellion and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And they had a Roman procession, a triumph through the city as a way of, of uh, showing the Roman Empire uh, that Rome has the true power. And then 10 years later, they built this arch to commemorate that. And on the side of the arch, you can see the picture of um, them marching uh, the captive people through the city with all of the stuff that they had stolen from the city and from the Jerusalem temple. So when they had this Roman procession, the, the royal victor would ride his uh, golden chariot behind four white war horses, and he would be given the title immortal. We think of uh, military parades today, they communicate some of those same aspects of military might and control and power. Um, when the Union won the Civil War, 1865, they had a grand review of the armies where they would um, march the military through the city. We think of uh, during World War II, uh, the military parades of Hitler and the Nazis were just massive. Um, showing their military power and strength. In 2018, it was the 70th anniversary of North Korea. 
And so Kim Jong-un wanted to have a huge military parade to commemorate that day. And uh, he rode through uh, the parade and took his tanks all the way through and all of his uh, fighter jets and soldiers to show his military might and his power and his control. So in the ancient world, these parades were a reminder to the citizens of that city of who is in charge, of who is in control of their lives. And that power and control is evidenced by all of the military strength and the wealth of those triumphal entrances. And here we have Jesus riding into Jerusalem for his triumphal procession. And he's not on a war horse or a golden chariot. He's on a donkey or uh, a baby horse, a colt. War heroes and world leaders do not ride donkeys in their military parades. They ride war horses, golden chariots, tanks. So imagine Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, uh, riding in his military parade, not on a tank, but on a little baby horse like this one. It does not have quite the same effect. It has the complete opposite effect. It has a message not of power and strength and control, um, but almost of uh, humility. And Jesus wasn't just trying to have this worship service where people praise him coming to the city. He was making a statement of political protest that the one who is called Lord is not the Roman emperor, not the political leader. The true Lord, the one in charge, was Jesus riding in, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. That the God of the universe does not rule with might and strength and violence and control, but with peace and humility. Jesus would have recognized a, uh, remembered a passage from Zechariah in Hebrew scriptures that was written a few hundred years before him. And Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you, and he is righteous and victorious, but he is humble, riding on an ass on a colt, the offspring of a donkey, and he will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The bow used in battle will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his rule will stretch from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying by riding in on a donkey that this time has come, the time for ending war and violence has come. It is a time of peace and justice, that God's desire for this world is a nonviolence. It is humility. It is love for not only neighbors, but our enemies. And that is what Jesus was communicating in his version of the triumphal procession. In Matthew's gospel, just the passage right before this story of the uh, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, Jesus's disciples are arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, uh, which disciple. And Jesus called them over and he said, he said that you know that those who rule show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials order them around, but that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave. And he said, I didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give my life to liberate many people. We like power. Power makes us feel good. Displays of power, um, when it's on our side, make us feel good. And when we have power, we have control. And we like to be in control. And we are in a time right now in our world where we are feeling a loss of control, of economic control, a loss of control over our health and well-being, a loss of control over our income for many of us and our jobs. And it's a very powerless feeling. This past week, Mission Gathering Pastor Brandon Robertson down in San Diego uh, interviewed biblical scholar John Dominic Crossan. And Dr. Crossan has been instrumental in my faith reconstruction over the past few years. And Dr. Crossan was speaking about this nonviolent message of Jesus that he uh, displayed in his triumphal procession into Jerusalem. And Dr. Crossan says, uh, kind of brings that message into the modern day. And he said that we have enough nuclear weapons in our world to destroy the earth many times over. Yet in this moment, we are in need of healing and we don't have enough medical supplies or hospital beds to heal us once. A third of the nuclear weapons are here in our neighborhood, 20 miles west of downtown Seattle, as it shows on this uh, city bus. We have enough power to destroy the world so many times, but now we need to heal it and we are out of medical masks and hospital beds. And Dr. Crossan said that this was not a anti-military stance, but he brought up the question, are our priorities a little out of whack, out of balance? And so I'm asking myself, do I value uh, the power of violence, of protection, of economic wealth over the ability to heal our wounds and the wounds of others, the ability to take care of one another when we need it? And maybe this time now is a moment where we can learn what Jesus tried to teach his followers 2,000 years ago. That true power isn't found in military might or control or force. And it's not found in the person who has the most social status or wealth or the loudest voice in the room. That true power, the power of God, is found in love for others and generosity and humility. And I think that that power, our understanding of power is being turned upside down right now. Because the most essential people in our society, the most important, crucial workers in our country, who are they right now? They are the gas station attendants and the grocery store checkout people, and the people in the restaurants who are making our food in their kitchens, the people who are delivering our packages to us. The most essential people are the ones who typically often are making minimum wage. And just a few weeks ago, the ones who had the most social and economic status and wealth and power have now been labeled non-essential 
power balance has been turned upside down. Maybe the reframing of that power is a good thing. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to recognize the true worth and value of people in our society that we need to pay more attention to and give more honor to. The nurses, the healthcare workers, grocery store workers, restaurant workers, delivery drivers, uh, newspaper delivery people like Greg Daly here with his family. Greg is a small business owner and a newspaper delivery man in New Jersey. And almost every day for the past 25 years, he has woken up at four in the morning to deliver newspapers to around 800 homes in his community. And since the novel coronavirus shutdowns began, one of the homes on his route was 88-year-old Phyllis Ross. And she asked Greg if he could deliver the newspaper a little closer to her garage because she didn't want to spend too much time outside going all the way to the street. And he thought, if Phyllis can barely spend any time outside to get the newspaper, how is she getting her groceries? And so he asked Phyllis here um, if he could deliver her groceries, and she was uh, floored and absolutely thrilled, and it was the hope um, that she needed uh, that week. And it kind of restored her faith in humanity. And Greg wondered how many of the other hundreds of households were in situations where they are not able to receive uh, groceries uh, right now and go, because they are vulnerable. And so he wrote a letter and he put it in each of his newspapers. And here's a picture of that letter. It says, Dear or good morning, valued customer. I hope this note finds you all well. My name is Greg. I deliver your newspaper every morning. I understand during these trying times it is difficult for some to get out of the house to get everyday necessities. So I would like to offer my services free of charge to anyone who needs groceries, household products, etc. Stay safe, Greg. So he and his family have delivered uh, groceries to dozens of people in his community over the past couple weeks. It is a newspaper delivery man who is now showing what true power looks like through serving others, through humility, through loving our neighbor. What are ways that we can show true power this week by loving our neighbors? My prayer for you is that you would find rest and peace in the truth that you are loved with a divine love. And may you spread that love outward this week to your neighbors. In the name of divine love, let it be so. Well, thank you all for joining us today. I want to invite you over to Zoom now, and we're going to check in with one another, and we're going to share some of your ideas about how we can love our neighbors during this time. So we'll see you over on Zoom. Thanks for being here. Bye.